go. Welcome to another episode of Compelled. I am Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. All right. What what do we have on the docket for today? We're going to be talking about uh, John Lasseter and Pixar. Um, Cassandra Smolchik is her name, and mm-hmm. she wrote a a really long, for lack of a better term, thesis. She she wrote about her experiences at Pixar, and um, just to give you guys some background, John Lasseter. So on November twenty seven, I'm sorry, twenty first. In 2017, Lasseter announced that he was going to take a six-month leave of absence after acknowledging allegations of workplace sexual misconduct. But he didn't call. He didn't acknowledge allegations of workplace sexual misconduct. He he acknowledged allegations of missteps with employees in a memo to staff, according to the Hollywood Reporter and the Washington Post. The alleged misconduct towards employees included grabbing, kissing, and making comments about physical attributes. The alleged conduct became so well-known that, according to Variety at various times, Pixar had minders who were tasked with reining in his impulses. Now, again, this is all third-party... Now, John... Yeah. (laughs) This is all third-party stuff, so... Uh, what it comes right down to is um, we all have to be skeptical about reports to Hollywood Reporter or the Washington Post, but I'm not saying be skeptical about the people. Like, I'm going to read this dissertation by Cassandra Smolchik. Now, this is from her, okay? So this is firsthand information. And that's and, – and, and, and you don't have to take this with – you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because, again, it's coming from her opinion. Yeah. But – any of the allegations you still have to take seriously. Yes. So uh, what it comes down to is, when I saw The Little Mermaid at six years old, my pint-sized budding artist soul was blown away. I started filling my school notebooks with doodles of Disney characters and quickly decided I wanted to work in animation when I grew up. So when I landed my quote-unquote dream job as an intern at Pixar at age 25, I thought for sure I'd made it in life, but it wasn't long before I became engaged in my own mental game of tug and war about the place. I can't speak for all women who strive for success in the U.S., but I can tell you that my own red-hot pursuit of the American dream had little to do with gaining power, influence, or excessive wealth. Although my career goals were high-reaching for a young woman from humble roots in Pennsylvania, my core motivations were always pretty simple. I fiercely wanted to earn and maintain a sense of respect from others. Greener than the Appalachians in the summertime, I thought if I proved myself as a competent professional that I'd no longer have to worry. That's actually, that's a mistake right there. Um, that I, I is then or that that I no longer have to worry about being disregarded, degraded, or simplified as little more than the sum of my feminine parts. That if I worked hard enough to land a seat with an admired company in a thriving part of the country, life would become kinder and more edifying to me than it had in the past. Regardless of how proficient at hoop jumping I became, no matter how many degrees, awards, performance bonuses, or film credits I racked up, that gracious, gratifying, and more dignified version of a better life always seemed to evade me and the disappointment of being so wrong about the world we live in cut so deeply it nearly split my resolve in two. Uh, On behalf of all my sisters who must maintain anonymity to remain safe and stay gainfully employed, I've decided to come forward bearing my hashtag MeTooTruth with my full name attached. But the choice to share a thorough account of my most triggering experiences with gender discrimination, sexism, harassment, and sexual abuse, both before and during my time at Pixar, was not one I made lightly. In most of the below accounts, I'm immediately not proud of the way I handled things, or rather failed to handle them, and I don't get joy in making myself a potential target for the Me Too backlash movement of dismissers and victim shamers. Nonetheless, I've decided to share an intensely personal overview of my sexual trauma uh, history in a public way, which I believe it provides a a kind of context that men and even some women need to understand the true gravity of our insidious problems with sexism as a species. Now, if you want to see... If you want to see the backlash or if you want to see the dismissers and victim shamers, just look at the the latest headlines with Kavanaugh, okay? Yeah. So uh, it doesn't matter when it happened, where it happened, or how it happened. If if you are assaulted, say something. Yeah. I prefer to think of this article as a pro-equality manifesto instead of an anti-misogyny rant or an attack on masculinity. I have faith that my candid testimony, as seen through an unapologetically female lens, can serve as a cautionary tale, a symbolic case study, and an emblematic catalyst. Oh, my God. Get on with it. I know. <laughs> I hope this expose will help to inspire companies and communities to shift their cultures from places that safeguard sexist behaviors to principled spaces where men and women are honored and supported. See, after years of exploiting his position of power at Disney and Pixar, 
Pressure from the Me Too movement recently ousted John Lasseter from his post as chief creative officer. Pixar has yet to address how John's sexist attitudes permeated its cultures for decades, but giving men while giving men license to mistreat women and sideline their careers. I was a graphic designer at Pixar during the second half of my 20s. I know people are saying that the climate there wasn't quote-unquote that bad. I'm here to tell you that it was and more than likely still is. I'm here to remind you that silencing or brushing off any level of sexual oppression, inappropriateness, harassment, or abuse, even even those that may not be deemed criminal in court of law, helps to normalize those behaviors, encouraging men with questionable integrity to push the boundaries of what is condoned in a given environment. At Pixar, my femaleness was undeniable was an undeniable impediment to my value, professional mobility, and sense of security within the company. The stress of working amidst such a blatantly sexist atmosphere took its toll and was a major factor in forcing me out of the industry. All that being said, I'd like to attest to the fact that I did encounter some amazing male employees during my time uh, with Pixar, men who truly walk the walk and live by the studio mantra of a good idea can come from anywhere. These kinds of guys gave equal credence to their female counterparts and treated us like allies instead of adversaries or objects, and they deserve credit for occupying the space above the fray. The decision to replace Lasseter with Jennifer Lee at Disney and Peter Doctor at Pixar provides hope for meaningful change moving forward. Doctor is known for being a gifted, inclusive filmmaker, and his gracious approach to leadership promises a vast improvement to the openly lecherous boys' club environment that Lasseter was paramount in cultivating. A few years ago, Doctor played a large part in advocating for the talent of a young story artist who has since become Pixar's first-ever female short film director, which is an amazing step in the right direction for lady storytellers. A recent article published in the San Francisco Chronicle implied that opportunities and the climate has been improving for at least three featured female Pixarians, which is great news, especially if these sentiments are echoed by other women within the studio, and the article represents more than just a crisis-controlling PR front, which it could. But dismantling John's legacy will take more than just replacing a single executive or releasing an article about the female contributions to a given film. Such deeply ingrained biases require deliberate, conscientious effort to identify and dismantle. Disney and Pixar must recognize that women in underrepresented underrepresented minorities are just as capable, talented, complex, and dimensional as the white fraternity of men who have monopolized animation thus far. Female narratives are worthy of world-class storytellers, and women deserve to be treated as respected equals in any creative community. Women deserve to be treated as respected equals in any community. Let's take creative out of it. I'm well aware that the instances of indiscretion and gender bias I'm about to describe aren't all that unique to Pixar, the animation industry, or to Hollywood at large. My, in my 34 years of life, experience, and extensive travel, I found that women are met with all varieties of lewd and dismissive treatment regardless of what social class, time zone, or hemisphere we're in. I also believe that a great deal of the harmful attitudes and biases against women are unintentional or unconscious at their core, like the phenomena Janet Crawford discussed in her TED Talk, The Surprising Neuroscience of Gender Inequality. To my knowledge, the halls of Pixar are not filled with serial rapists or harassers of the hard-time criminal variety, but the culture is still far from squeaky clean or inclusive when it comes to male-female relations. In reading the latest Me Too articles, it's clear that lots of other well-known companies condone much more extreme behaviors by comparison, but that doesn't detract from my former employer's legal and moral obligation to do better by the woman in the ranks. During my tenure as a young female artist, I felt overly targeted, harassed, or physically threatened by male co-workers about a handful of times. Each of these most piercing encounters with the unhinged masculine were painful, unsettling, and effectively cast a murky blue reality-checking tint over my rosy-colored dream job. It was actually these moments combined with the forces of institutionalized enabling, practicing uh, practices that safeguarded and propped up a whole gamut of sexist behaviors on a larger scale, along with the consistent daily undertones of gender exclusion. That truly made me feel unwelcome and undervalued in a sea of seemingly thriving male co-workers. Although other women appeared to uh, navigate their way around the pitfalls of the male-dominated studio, I eventually came to the conclusion that my hopes of feeling equally venerated or fulfilled in my career path were unlikely to come to fruition. In order for the Me Too movement to accomplish its core goals of unmarginalizing the marginalized and dismantling sexist behaviors, we need to collectively expose a much fuller, nuanced picture of what sexism sexism really looks like, of the breadth and frequency that ordinary girls and women face gender-loaded trauma throughout their lives. To the average man, or even a woman, 
who has been less affected by gender issues in her life. It may be challenging to understand why nonviolent forms of sexism and harassment are still in critical need of our attention. Not every woman develops a dramatic cognitive changes seen in PTSD, but many of us are considerably impacted by all too common subtle sexual traumas we experience in both childhood and adulthood. When we left when left unexamined, these festering sexual wounds can actually alter a woman's brain and body chemistry on a neurological, psychological, and physiological level, deep below the surface of her own awareness. An amalgamation of negative encounters with the opposite sex can turn what might be outwardly perceived as an innocuous act, like an unwanted sexual advance, a sexist joke or remark, an extra long hug or hand placed on a thigh into a serious disturbance to a woman's sense of value, comfort, safety, and well-being. When these smaller acts of inappropriateness mount up in a given week, month, year, or career, they have a tendency to reverberate off one another, magnify the intensity of all these minor workplace incidents by the weight each individual woman carries from a potential lifetime of sexually loaded stressors, then companies that placate lewd and questionable behaviors can manifest a deep, compounding, and unbearable sense of disappointment, overwhelm, and rage in the depths of a woman's subconscious. As female empowerment coach Lily Claire Love wrote, in order to recalibrate the inherent harmonies be- between the masculine and feminine, it's necessary for men to first understand and recognize the wounds that have been inflicted by his gender. When we speak to a girl or a woman in any environment, we should be conscious of the fact that we cannot conceivably predict or perceive the depths of her past traumas or negative experiences with the opposite sex, Love explained. Okay, real quick. Um, is she going to get to the point or is she going to just – it sounds like she's doing a college thesis. You know what I mean? Like like, like it's almost like a, like it's a course. You know right. what I mean? I mean, I understand the point, and I, I mean, she's. This is really well worded, but God damn, it's like, let's get to the meat of this shit. You know what I mean? I get it. Because like it seems like she's almost saying the same thing over and over again, just in different ways. Mm-hmm. Does it seem like that? Okay. While no two women respond to incidences of harassment, gender bias, or exclusion the same, all women deserve to be treated with the same utmost levels of dignity and respect. Period. All right. Now I'm not dismissing that, but as Joe said, it that's. 2,500 words or more of her writing the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. We, we understand. And and that tells me that the person, that when she wrote it, she sent it in and they said, oh, no, you need to pad this type of thing. That's mm-hmm. what it feels like. That's what it feels like. Not saying that it's true. When I walked under Pixar's grandiose steel beam gate on my first day of graphic design internship at age 25, and remember... Graphic design intern or internship, at least. I was no stranger to unwanted sexual attention or behaviors that were harmful to women. By the way, I, I just want to set one thing aside here. Like, if you take all that stuff out of it and just start with this information right here, it's probably it's probably going to be a, a much better um, written piece of material. My problem with this whole thing right now is is what's coming up in the next paragraph. Okay, um, it's it's the it's the continuing, and she's not victim blaming or anything else like that. But it feels like it's kind of on the edge of victim blaming. It's like she's trying to overly explain what it's like to be a person in her position as a woman. Yeah, it's just it, what it feels like to me is that anything that's said, anything that's said to it, it, it said to her or, you know, if she's caught in the line of fire of someone talking and they say something, quote unquote, inappropriate, yeah. that she automatically gets offended. That's but that's me. You know, look, uh, here, here's the paragraph I'm going to read. Growing up in an economically depressed rural part of western Pennsylvania, I witnessed numerous acts of abuse and violence towards women before graduating from elementary school. Really? Okay. A social outcast during most of my childhood for being an awkward, ugly, duckling-type tomboy in a community that operated strictly def- by strictly defined generals, which it still does because it's western Pennsylvania, and I believe that most of Pennsylvania is a coal mine or steel mill type of place. My own unpleasant run-ins with the opposite sex started relatively young. At 12, a boy I liked put his hand down my pants and tried to finger me on an amusement park ride, a common reaction for a confused child who was being molested. I froze, making my first sexual encounter a traumatic, non-consensual incident that would quickly come to haunt me. Now, again, I mean, that's uh, who, but we don't know the whole story. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, it sounds like just some kid got on the ride with her and started, you know, messing with her. No, that's not what it sounds like at all. What it says is, a boy I liked put his hands down my pants. There wasn't 
a random a random twelve year old got on the fucking Ferris wheel with her and and tried to and tried to fuck her. But we don't know the whole story. At yeah, twelve, I mean, we don't know. We don't know if you know he was trying to you know do that stuff or if if she was just who knows. But again, what I said at the beginning was you know what happens to a person and then there if there's trauma to that person you can't dismiss it. Yeah. So it sounds like that you know again a common reaction for a confused child who was being molested I froze. So again we don't know we don't know the entire story and that's the most important part of this whole thing not the John Laster thing. What she's saying is we don't know the whole story, okay? And and one side of the story is fine, but you need both sides of the story is what I'm saying, uh, to, to make a, a really, really informed opinion. I'm not dismissing anything that she says. Don't get me wrong. Uh, moments after violating me, he walked over to a group of boys from our grade to brag about it, sentencing me to years of taunting and bullying from the adolescent boy, hive mind at my middle school. While I'd only ever willingly consented to an innocent kiss, I was nonetheless branded with the unshakable reputation as a slut. Around the time I transitioned into puberty a few years later, several other events shook me to the core. One summer night, I happened upon an adult male relative at a, female, um, at, a, at a family picnic while the rest of the party guests congregated down the hill. Stumbling and clearly intoxicated, he went in for a long hug but then refused to let go. He proceeded to grope me in the dark yard until I was finally able to break free. But the incest, incestuous sexual encounter would scar me for decades. I don't really, but okay. That, uh, understandable. That same summer, I got drunk for my first time at a graduation party. So at 14 years old, um, and naively followed a group of older boys who promised to show me a cool treat for it into a nearby patch of woods. My adult self shudders to think of what might have happened if I hadn't puked all over their shoes. From the patchy memories I have from that night, I can tell you that their intentions were shaping up to be far from pure. In line with the statistics, a good many of my first harassers and abusers were people I knew. But then there are also the perfect strangers. In just a single year, a grown man living in the apartment across the street who was literally twice my age regularly hounded me when I came and went for the school bus. Another man attempted to sexually assault me on an Amtrak train, and a boy one grade ahead of me in school stalked me for months. He was later institutionalized for... Facing this barrage of sexual aggression left me in a state of continuous anxiety and fear, overwhelmed by threats that seemed to come from all sides. Now you can understand why... I feel the way I do about when she wrote all that stuff. Yeah. Which is she 100% and no one else can deny this. 100% is fearful of or has problems with talking about or dealing with sex in in a in a joking manner. Yeah. But again, that's I'm talking about, you know, if somebody says and there's a quote that we that I'll I'll bring up which is um She's like a uh, when they were talking about one of the movies that they were making at Pixar, and they were trying to get a handle on the movie, and one of the guys just said, "You know, it's like it's like dealing with a blonde with big tits." Yeah, basically. And she she got offended about that. Okay, you know. So and that's what I talk about when she 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 gets offended by those types of things. Um, because she's already been from she's she's already dealt with this trauma. She's dealt with a bunch of uh, negative uh, sexual encounters in one way or another in her life uh, when she was young, and it's it's created a certain kind of um, wall, maybe a wall, I, a certain kind of outlook she has on uh, it's on sex and things like that. I think that um, I, I mean I, I don't even know if she states in this article at all because I know you haven't read it all, but. If she states, like, if, if she's had a, even a, a normal sexual relationship with anyone, you know, in her life. Yeah, I, who knows? Uh, towards the end of middle school, I got the I got an idea while taking a bath that would drastically change my day-to-day existence. Um, I remember looking down at my body, uh, symbols of womanhood that I've been pining to possess for years as I was going through puberty. Um, when I thought about all the unwanted and abrasive attention those curves were attracting, I started to feel sick to my stomach, thinking that... I would be better off if my curves just disappeared. If I were skinny and flat-chested again, I'd, like I'd been before puberty, um, I, I decided to stop eating for the rest of the day. By the end of the week, I'd consume nothing more than a few cups of coffee, a lot of water, and a few baby carrots. For the next two years, my life was consumed by the gruesome binging and purging cycles of a dedicated anorexic bulimic, and I refused to allow myself to weigh over 
95 pounds. Subconsciously overwhelmed by an already sizable list of unresolved sexual traumas, which we had just discussed, starving myself became a source of release and self-preservation. Looking back on it, I don't know how effective the strategy was in deterring the attention of the boys and men who looked at me with predatory volition, but I have immense compassion for the young, overwhelmed woman Young woman I was at the time, grasping for a sense of control in an atmosphere that had become unbearable. So kind of like making herself so unattractive that like it would scare men away or something. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like she had anyone to talk to. Before I reached the legal age for consent, I'd been confronted by formidable behaviors from boys at school, from men in my neighborhood, and even at family events. Next would come the workplace. During the four-year span that I was employed by a local Italian restaurant as a hostess, I would be grabbed, taunted, and harassed by the adult patrons, my coworkers, and even the owner of the establishment where I landed my school job. The man whose name was on the restaurant awning was my father's agent, a good friend of my grandparents. But that didn't stop him from regularly putting his arm around me so he could look down my shirt or pretending to accidentally drop things in the kitchen so he could order me insistently to bend over and pick it up in a kitchen full of snickering line cook. When I was as young as 15, male patrons would regularly jeer and leer at me when I walked through the dining hall. A female co-worker once yelled for attention, then pulled up my skirt in front of a fully staffed kitchen so everyone could have a good look at my exposed lower half. One particularly wealthy and well-respected older man told me I couldn't have the large tip he was offering unless I let him stuff it down my shirt. After waiting on a large party of his business associates all afternoon, the man left me nothing and complained to my boss that I was uptight when I refused to humor him. After at least a year of consistent harassment, humiliation, and tongue-biting, I finally mustered up the courage to report what I was experiencing to my female manager. A few days later, I came into work to hear that she had confronted the restaurant owner, gotten into an explosive argument with him, and he had subs- and, and had been fired. I started applying for a lottery of other jobs but got no callbacks. Needing the income, I forced myself to return to the morally bankrupt work environment for several more years until I finally left home for college despite the anxiety I felt. In speaking up about these uncomfortable truths to my manager, I had effectively accomplished next to nothing for myself and had cost a conscientious and hardworking single mother, who I considered an ally, her job. This experience informed me how I would come to feel about reporting disturbing behaviors in the workplace in the future with serious trepidation and skepticism. Again, if you look at any of the headlines in the last three to five years or even longer, but in the last three to five years, I'm going to reread this again. In speaking up about these uncomfortable truths to my manager, I had effectively accomplished next to nothing for myself and had cost a conscientious and hardworking single mother her job. This experience informed how I would would come to feel about reporting disturbing behaviors in the workplace in the future. That's how all of these women feel. Yeah. So whether it happened three seconds, three minutes, three hours, three weeks, three months, three years... 33 years. Yeah. It doesn't matter because they all are going through the same thing that they don't want to report this because it's going to cause problems. And there's a certain culture of just uh, biting your tongue. Yeah. I eventually recovered from my eating disorder with the help of my sister and counseling, but drugs and alcohol became my next more culturally acceptable method for numbing out and escaping reality. Oh, I can see a lawyer using that against her. After a few years as a constantly intoxicated teenager, a series of events forced me to wake up from my chemically altered headspace long enough to shift my focus to my schoolwork around junior year of high school. So she, it, so this is around the uh, age of 14 through 17, but even a lawyer getting involved was not going to be shit. Despite all the naysayers who challenged my dreams of becoming an artist or writer, I put all my stock in my tough-as-nails grandmother's advice, who told me that if I worked hard enough, I could accomplish just about anything. She encouraged me to... Think bigger than what all these fuddy-duddies have to say about a woman's place in the world. In my day, us girls had one choice, get married, become a housewife, raise kids. But you can become so much more than that. Desperate, uh, I desperately wanted to prove that I was an inferior, weak, incapable, or unintelligent. More than anything, I hoped that if I somehow pulled off my own version of the American dream, then I could finally earn the consideration and respect that I believed. Somewhere deep within myself, I'd always been deserving of. By high school graduation, I changed a lot of diapers, led hundreds of camp songs, and seated and waited on countless tables to pad my bank account for my big dreams. When I applied for student loans and blew all my hard-earned savings on my first tuition bill, people in my town said I'd be in debt up to my eyeballs for the rest of my natural life. My decision to attend a yuppie school drove a wedge between me and members of my family because some of them believed I was naive, that the world was going to chew me up and spit me out, and I was likely making a very expensive mistake. Letting their pessimism fuel my determination, I did everything in my power to keep my skeptics wrong. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I proved my skeptic trunks. I worked feverishly hard in college to earn top 
top-tier grades and stay financially afloat, juggling several work-study jobs and mailing out a constant stream of scholarship essay submissions while simultaneously blowing off steam and self-medicating my anxiety with alcohol and into party life. While I earned the respect of my professors, my attempts to fit in with the affluent student population at my college were largely a bust. In many ways, I felt like they were from some bizarre foreign country, not nearby upstate New York or New Jersey. In college, I quickly discovered that working-class men weren't the only ones capable of barbaric behavior towards women. During that four-year period, I was sexually assaulted numerous times, date-raped by an upperclassman, who was later revealed to be a serial rapist, and was bullied and harassed by an entire hall of male freshman dorm residents who I'd been tasked with managing as one of the university's resident assistants. As for my love life, though, throughout my late teens into my mid-twenties, I struggled through not just one but two long-term relationships with men who eventually became verbally and physically, physically abusive towards me, typically under the influence of alcohol. Given the fact that addiction problems were rampant in my hometown and many of the relationships I'd witnessed growing up were marked by inebriated violence, I did not know how to expect or demand much more for myself. After graduating college with a bachelor's degree, I entered the so-called real world, working for a graphic designer at a marketing firm in Pittsburgh. I faced gendered hostility from yet another male boss who constantly belittled and demeaned me. Fed up with him, the company, and the culture of sexism that seemed to saturate home, I decided to take on an even more student debt to get my MFA in graphic design in Savannah, Georgia. During that intense two-year academic period, I felt massively venerated and joyful in my work. I was at long last recognized and rewarded for the quality of my ideas, my diligence on high-scoring, award-winning design product projects. I thrived socially, making friends with a large international group of fellow graduates who all took their studies and professional achievements just as seriously as I did. Things were looking up in my world, but even during this more gratifying time, sex once again cast a shadow on my path. Just before graduation, a competitive classmate spread rumors that I was trading sexual favors for good grades. Though this was baseless gossip that thankfully went unacknowledged, it stung deep to have my hard work dismissed in lieu of my sexuality, effectively tarnishing my reputation and calling everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish into question to anyone who caught wind of the tale. Just days after receiving my master's diploma, I found myself walking the sparkling halls of Pixar, a city, state, and studio I'd only ever witnessed on screen, which was San Francisco, California, elated to gain access to the famed animation campus as one of two graphic design interns. Our morning orientation felt like some otherworldly dream, but before I even had a chance to sit down in the fancy swivel chair in my new office, a seasoned employee waved a red flag about the kind of behavior I could expect in the studio. Oh, John's going to love you, he remarked about one of Pixar's highest-ranking executives, teasing and warning me at the same time. During the next few days, male and female employees alike told me that the company's CCO, John Lasseter could be touchy-feely with members of the opposite sex, that he had a tendency to make sexually charged comments to and about women, that interactions with him were often uncomfortable or even mortifying for females. The women who endured this unwanted attention often had a less flippant take on it, but on a broader level, there was a collective attitude of, oh, ha, 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 that's just our job. John wasn't the only prominent male personality in the company to have his own whisper network. I was likewise told to steer clear of a particularly chauvinistic male lead in my department. He goes on rants all the time about how he thinks American women are revolting, unattractive, and sloppy in comparison to the beautiful creatures from his part of the world, said one of the female artists who'd worked under the production. The chief artist who directs and manages all the visual aspects of it. But trust me, that won't stop him from hitting on you. Much like John, this man's female targets had been reporting his vulgar, unprofessional behavior for years, but his position and demeanor remained much the same. She instructed me to avoid him and do my best not to land a spot on his team. Between the lines of my co-workers' warnings, she clued me into several things about culture at Pixar that I found de- deeply disturbing. This was a company that not only continued to employ, but allowed known harassers to maintain positions of power. Such men felt emboldened enough to regularly express sexist, disrespectful thoughts about women in both private and public settings. The burden of managing these kinds of lewd behaviors fell squarely on the shoulders of the company's female employees with little to no support from management. To say I expected more from the men and women calling the shots at Pixar would be a gross understatement. I, was fully, I wasn't fully aware of it at the time, but on a subconscious level, it was devastating to learn right from the start that women were open targets for disrespect and abuse, even at a world-renowned workplace in the most liberal-leaning city in the country. And the flood of reality checking blows continued to roll in. During week two, I was making tea in one of the company kitchens when the production designer had been warned about approached me to introduce himself. When I told him my name, he said, I already know who you are, with a sideways grin while he looked me up and down with predatory volition, insinuating that my reputation had preceded me. When he said he had recognized my surname and my look from his part of the world, Uh, the hair all over my body stood up on high alert. He told me he was excited to finally have a beautiful face from his motherland in the studio. 
I smiled and nodded, said nice to meet you, and scampered off down the hall so fast I burnt my hand with hot tea. Even though his intended compliment creeped me out in some ways, I felt relieved that I was quote-unquote his type. It might dodge the insults and bullying that he was known to dish out. When I turned the corner to my office, I peeked back down the hall. Sure enough, he was sta still standing exactly where I left him, watching me walk away with wolf-like intensity. Over the years, I white-knuckled my way through many unwelcome, objectifying interactions with him, with Lasseter, and other men. A big part of me is disappointed in the ways I didn't handle those encounters. There were opportunities there for me to push back on men who were flexing inserting, and asserting their sexual dominance over me, to establish healthy boundaries and demand that they speak to me with respect or not, and not treat me like a sex object, to ask my supervisors to help me in holding them accountable for their loose tongues and poor behaviors, and to give them and in question a chance to course correct. More importantly, I had opportunities to protect other women from being belittled and objectified like that in the future, but I didn't take them. Even though I had countless uncomfortable encounters with the chauvinist production designer, I wasn't getting the worst of his behavior. As one of the fortunate female artists who has never, who was never assigned to his team, I wasn't subjected to his crass and inappropriate nature on a daily basis, but a friend and former co-worker of mine wasn't so lucky. The ex-employee gave me permission to anonymously share her testimony. Uh, he knew from early interactions with me that I wasn't going to play along with his antics. Instead, he would make demeaning or sexist comments about women around me, even during meetings with the rest of the team. He would complain that what people thought of of as his bad idea was normal conduct in his home country, and that... Americans were too sensitive. I would challenge him on these comments, which only increased his anger. I began to feel very uncomfortable around this individual because he would often try to antagonize me during meetings and give me dirty glares in the hallways. I asked to be moved on to a different project. I found out that he has a long history of bad behavior and that many people refused to work with him. Most everyone on my team was a new hire, and I believe he was in charge of our team because we weren't aware of his history and was and less likely to make a fuss. When he found out that I had reached out to complain about his behavior, he would no longer speak to me and wouldn't come to my office to review my work. When it came time for me to have a performance review, I was warned that the review from him was going to be negative. I asked that the other two production designers that I had worked with also review me, and I was told that they would not be asked. One of them told me that he had tried to talk on my behalf, but that it wouldn't be used as a formal performance review. When I had my official performance review, this production des designer used it as an opportunity to unload his anger on me. He said that my behavior was disruptive and that it had caused us to no longer be able to have group discussions because I wouldn't talk to him with the authority he deserved. When I had my exit interview with the studio, I told him about his inappropriate behavior. They told me that they were aware of the situation and that he would be talked to. A few months later, he was promoted. And I have heard from other people that his bad behavior continues. It's hard to wonder if the friction my friend experienced with this man and the negative performance review she received from him may have played a role in the company's decision to lay her off with a group of 190 other employees in 2012. <clears throat> in 2010, shortly after I started working on my third feature, Cars 2, my female art department manager approached me to relay some unsettling news. We've decided it's best if you don't attend art reviews on the production. John has a hard time controlling himself around young pretty girls, so it will be better for everyone if we just kept you out of sight, she said with a shoulder shrug, referring to our film's director and the company's CCO. Before I had a chance to respond, her floating head disappeared. Um, I'm just, I, th this thing is really, really long, and I don't want to lessen this, but I need to kind of get to the Well, you've read everything so far, so... Um, you haven't skipped over anything yet. L.A. Times reporter David Ng described the atmosphere at Pixar rather bluntly in a recent article about John and the studio he was pivotal in creating. Pixar's former Golden Boy faces accusations that he presided over a rowdy fraternity environment where female employees found themselves looking from the outside in, unable to succeed or ascend. The corporate hierarchy due to what some say is a systemic bias that extends beyond Lasseter. In interviews with The Times, nine former Pixar employees described an ingrained culture that makes it difficult for female employees to thrive. In addition to being a place where crude remarks about women and inappropriate touching occurred, they said the studio has perpetuated a system which the company's creative leaders, who are mainly men, are treated as royalty and are protected at all costs. Um, it's their bread and butter, that's why. I eventually found much-needed support and unity with other female co-workers. While I found it healing to bond with a fellowship of women who could understand and personally relate to many hurdles I faced as a female minority in the studio, it was equally as disheartening to hear your own hardships echoed in the mouths of so many other ambitious, talented, and capable women even across generations, etc. This is... Um, 
A calendar year later on the morning of my final day at Pixar, I made one last round of edits to the exit email I'd been preparing for weeks and held my breath while I clicked the send button. For the first and last time, I sent out a message to the entire company, a goodbye letter I still stand behind despite all the difficult truths I've chosen to share since. Today, it's my turn to take the leap and leave the comfort, familiarity, and friendship of Pixar behind to pursue something scary and new. I know this is a common sentiment, but these brick walls house an incredibly talented, creative, and intelligent and rare crop of people. I am grateful for the time I spent working and playing alongside you, and I'm proud of the work we've done together. Um, throughout the day, I received many touching and sweet reply emails, welcome, goodbye hugs, and well wishes from my peers and superiors alike. A long-standing producer even pulled me aside to tell me how tr- true my parting words uh, read. How how true my parting words read to him. Um, asking if I would reconsider my resignation. A few hours later, as I had finished packing all my belongings, I suddenly felt like I wasn't alone in my office, although my office mate had already gone for the day. I looked up to see my least favorite production designer leaning coolly against the doorframe, his pose smooth and slinky like a guy trying to pick me up in a bar. As always, his presence made my body go tight and my stomach roll over with tension. But I forced a cordial smile in his direction when he wished me luck with my next job. My shoulders dropped away from his ears a bit. He paused for a moment. His arms crossed over his black V-neck shirt and shook his head. It's a shame you're leaving us, Cassandra, <clears throat> he said, surprising me with uncharacteristic sincerity. But then he spoke again. I'm really going to miss you. I'm really going to miss the view, he said slowly while his eyes gave me one last lecherous up and down. I uncapped a Sharpie marker that was in my hand and turned back to him, even if it gave him a clearer view of my ass. I started scribbling on a box so he couldn't see the bright red humiliation that flushed my face. An awkward giggle slipped from my lips because that's what we women are expected and trained to do when men assert assert sexual power over us whenever and however they choose. Uh, when our minds and talents are yet again disregarded in lieu of sexual parts. We smirk with a hint of irreverence. We force out an unnatural chuckle. We shrug and try to let it slide off our backs. <coughs> we laugh quietly so that we don't start to cry. After he left, I left... I let the tense air in the room fill my lungs. I turned to the shiny iMac that would soon be wiped clean of me to enter the password phrase that had sprung to mind about a year before when the IT department made everyone change them. I typed, free to do anything, in the slender metal keyboard before booting down the machine for the last time, feeling the tingly body rush you get when something rings impeccably true in your soul center. Regardless of what anyone else thinks or has to say about my place in this world, I can still choose my next adventure because I was and always have been exactly that, free to do anything. This is, like I said... This is the story of a woman who has been wronged, and I mean it's it's twelve thousand words, mm-hmm. and for me to read the whole thing, I mean we're at forty minutes already into the show. Um, let me think. How am I going to say this without sounding like an asshole? Sound like an asshole. There are two kinds of people in this world. Uh, or two. I mean, I'm sorry. There's two kind of victims in this world: people that allow themselves to stay the victim. And people that fight through that shit and 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 excel in the face of it. Um, I'm not downplaying anything she's gone through. And look, years and years of abuse and, and trauma and things like that, that can also distort your view. Um, I think that because of all the incidents she's been through, based on reading this, that I, I wouldn't doubt if there's plenty of times where it wasn't anything big at all and she overreacted to it emotionally and mentally because of all the other shit she's been through and it seems to me that that she it's easier for her to to just god to almost let herself feel like she's a victim instead of um finding a way to toughen her own skin and and fight through the shit, you know, because there's there, there's plenty of women that uh, like like I say women that work in bars. I, I've given plenty of rides to women that um that 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 are bartenders and waitresses and stuff like that. And I've asked them, how do you deal with um guys hitting on you all the time and shit like that and saying inappropriate things and trying to grab you and shit like that? How do you deal with that shit? And they said this job is not for everybody. You have to grow a thick skin because you have to take a lot of things into account. But, you know, but you also don't let a motherfucker touch you. You don't, you know, and you know where the line is and you don't let everything that every that all these people say to you, mostly men, um, say to you, um, you don't let it um, break you down because you hear it so much. It, it, it's like if you let every little thing, you know, hurt you, how the fuck are you going to be able to get out of bed every morning? You know, so... 
it's hard for me to say this because I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to, you know, like I said, downplay what she's gone through because I, I wasn't there. I'm not her, so I'm just basing it off of what she said. And it sounds like she's been through a lot of shit. But what if, because of all the shit she's been through, you know, some things might be exaggerated. Some things might not be as bad as she makes it sound, you know, in the work environment. You know, because it seems like everywhere she went, this is constantly happening to her. Every fucking where she went, you know. It's not true. I didn't read the last part. Yeah, well, I mean, for the most part, um, what she, you know, what she wrote about, and so, but I, I don't want to dismiss it at the same time because, like, you know, I'm not a woman, so I don't have to deal with this shit, you know. So, um, I mean, what if, what if it was this bad for her? You know, what if, you know, everywhere she went. There was always dudes fucking with her, in, you know, in appropriate ways, you know, disrespecting her. And there's a lot to the story that's missing, mm-hmm. and a lot of the story that's missing is the fact that by the time she was 14, she was dependent on alcohol and other substances. Yeah, she was uh, self-medicating. Hmm. But she doesn't talk anything at all about her family life, yeah. Other than that one instance with the uncle, with the uncle, yeah, or whoever he was. So. How bad was her family life? Yeah. And that's what basically has defined her as a person. She, her, when she was younger, her life was so bad that she didn't want to go through puberty. Mm-hmm. And it, so she tried to stop herself from doing that by becoming anorexic bulimic, not eating or doing whatever. Yeah. And causing more damage to her body because there's something going on up in her head that is requiring her to think like that. And that can only mean systemic abuse. My um, my daughter was uh, sexually abused when she was a child. And I think to this day, she still has a mostly negative view on sex. Like she just doesn't, it doesn't really interest her right. at all. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't blame her. I, you know, I mean, because, you know, if your first introduction to that shit is, is something extremely evil, then... How can you ever see a positive in it? Yeah. You know, there's a pain there. Yeah, PTSD, if whatever you want to call yeah. it. Like, I mean, she still has attractions. You know, for uh, most of her teens, she was attracted to girls because she was more comfortable being around girls. Right. And now she's finally. It seems like um, she's starting to become um, like she was beforehand, which is you know she's more attracted to guys now than girls. Right. But it, she still she never goes and really gets into relationships at all. Um, and she's, she's, she says she's perfectly fine being single for as long as possible. It doesn't matter. Huh? You know, me, when I was her age, oh, fuck, I was constantly thinking about being in a relationship. I was the opposite because I wasn't sexually abused. So, um, it was different for me. I didn't have any really, ne- anything that I can recall that it was negative sexually in my, in my life growing up. So that's why I, I, I always say what if with all this stuff, because I, I am not her. I didn't go through what she went through, this lady right here. So, uh, Cassandra. So, um, you know, I know, and there's different degrees of, of sexual harassment and things like that. And I'm not going to, I'm also not going to dismiss what, you know, with, with John Lasseter, because even if he wasn't a rapist or a straight up molester, um, it's not okay. You know, if you're making people feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. the problem is, is that he got so big for his britches, it seemed like no one stood up to him, including, you know, the big wigs, because he makes so much money for the studio. Right, but it just kind of, it's just kind of funny to me that John Lasseter, after all this shit, while he's working for Pixar, and which is owned by Disney, um, that he's able to do all this shit for this long and nothing happens, and then finally he's going to walk away from it. Right, right. He was protected. Yeah, but yet, oh, James Gunn, he did some shit before pre Disney, made some comments, you know, and made some jokes, and yet he's fucking gone. It. it I, there's a lot of fucking hypocrisy, man, when it comes to Hollywood and, and this whole system. And it's it's alarming. It's definitely alarming. I you know, look, no one has the right to walk around the workplace and put their hands on on anyone, especially in a sexual manner, and make people feel uncomfortable. That's you know, like for me personally, I hate making people feel uncomfortable. It bugs the shit out of me. You know. I never want to do that. So um Yeah, here's here's the um, Lasseter's open sexism set the tone from the top, emboldening others to act like frat boys in just about any campus setting. I'll never forget the day a director compared his latest film to a big-titted blonde who was difficult to nail down. 
in front of the whole company, a joke that received gasps of disapproval. I don't, I don't find something like that uh, in a. It, yeah. Is it in, inappropriate? Probably, but I mean, he's trying to, he's trying to express it. He could have used mm-hmm. better words. Yeah, I mean, isn't the the mindset at Pixar like laid back and like you know it's like a family, like you know you're all hanging out with your friends and shit like that, and that's why their movies always turn out so good because they're more down to life, right? And and. You know, when you hang out with people you know all the time, you're gonna make jokes and 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 comments like 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 dudes. And I'm I've heard women. I've hung out with plenty of women that make fucking dude jokes all the time, sexual jokes. You know, and talk like sailors, curse like sailors, man. So it also seems to me it's also who you're hanging out with at the same time. You know, it, it it's real. It, you know, what? it's something I never have to worry about because I know how to fucking act around people. You you never just you know, you, you get a feel for whoever you're with. You get a, you know, you understand what kind of person they are and you know what you can talk about. You know what you can talk about based on, on the personality you get from this person. And so, you know, sounds like if this is true with John Lasseter, he don't give a shit. And he's, he's just going to walk around like the old, the horny old man around the office. Yeah. So is the horny old man thing okay? No, but I'll, I'll tell you what, there's a lot worse fucking things in the world than the horny old man walking around the office. The horny old pervert. Pixar is a company that profits from making films that emphasize family values and moral behavior. Yeah. Think about that. They're all hypocrites, man. I mean, Disney had Touchstone Pictures Division so they could make R-rated movies. So it, it's all... it's all. So what? What I mean... That's, it, that's, that's being a hypocrite? What it means is they can say that they're for this only and all this stuff, but they still want to make money, so they create their that's, own... But that's not hypocrisy. That's that's spinning off so that they don't have to worry about branding Disney as R-rated, you know, violence-loving, whatever. And everybody knew that that fucking company was owned by Disney. In fact, I think they even said it. We were spinning it off so that we could do this without having to worry about the Disney brand in and of itself. Yeah, right. That was years ago. It... I don't know, man. It just the, anyone that thinks that this world, you know, that the way that things are is going to be all fucking rainbows and 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 daffodils. It's just that that's not the real world, man. I I I mean, it'd be nice if everything was hunky dory, but it's not. It's just not. I so you but know you can't treat people like that. And I agree. Look, if he if he was treating people like that, then he needs to fucking go, regardless of how much money he's made for the studio. He needs to go. So, um, you know, because, look, uh, people have been getting, like, uh, thousands of, of people, especially men, uh, have been getting away with this shit for forever, you know, for decades in the workplace. So, um, and now, finally, what, what do they call it? The, 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 they've come home to roost or whatever the fuck they call it. I don't know the saying, <laughs> you know. But it just, eventually, finally, people are opening their eyes to shit and, and more people are standing up for themselves. Good for them, you know. Some people don't like it, but, you know, people are afraid of change. I mean, and so that's why a lot of people get defensive against this shit. You know, like, like, oh, it's just a witch hunt and all this stuff. And, you know, sure, sure there's going to be degrees of witch hunt here and there. No, but no, no. Okay, hold on. Stop by your head. There's something. Here's something. What do we got? So there's this guy. His name is A.M. Longhorn, who apparently works for Pixar. Um over twelve thousand, the over twelve thousand word essay is incredibly deep and shocking. Shame on all the bullies, harassers, and unforgivable men putting these poor female artists and giving Pixar a bad name. Of course, as the article reads, she mentions there are at least were a bunch of nice employees who supported her, but I can't seriously believe the company would let these kinds of horrible people run loose within the studio. I can't imagine what else is lying beyond the other studios. Um, here we go. Uh, I would assume that a good amount of these abusers she encountered were probably among the 60 people who were laid off back in 2013. Many articles back then said the laying off was because of the good dinosaur. But again, I was not there at Pixar when that happened, so I can't really know, but I could speculate. Um, which that Taking that sentence into context sounds like he works there. It's not only the fact that there were people who violated Cassandra, but the new info involving Lasseter is incredibly horrible news. Just learning about how John acted and treated women at holiday parties is very uncalled for, but what shocked me the most was the big-titted blonde who was difficult to nail down comment, which I assume that it was John who said it. 
it's pretty obvious this is beyond the term missteps and into the realm of blatantly savage. And I bet you this kind of workplace is a primary reason behind the creative slump of the early mid 20, you know, 2010s. When you think about it, it's shocking um, yet saddening um, how they managed to keep this a secret for so long. Warning, spoilers from here on. Read at your own risk. If you really think about it, some of Pixar's recent films hint the problems with the company. Cars 3 with Cruz Ramirez being left out and not being given the chance to race at the beginning of the film could reflect the females at Pixar not given the chance to rise up. With Coco, Miguel's idol Ernesto de la Cruz coming across as a charming, wise, brave, and kind man not only revealed to be a spineless, ruthless, cowardly murderer, which not only presents a message of being careful with who you admire, but also proving one of the most masterful and most perfect examples of not everyone is what they seem. Uh, which could reflect how the now ousted CEO, CCO may come across or may have presented himself as the happy-ass guy with the Hawaiian T-shirts, but to be much darker and less innocent. On the plus side, the high praise C- Cassandra gave to Pete Doctor and the fact that men- mentions Pete being not only gracious and inclusive, but a person who's pushed more for female talent is not only an incredibly good sign involving him being the new CCO, but it looks like the, next, the right step forward. Um, reading that... You know, and then putting into context, I was not there at Pixar when it happened. When that happened, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he could have said, but then again, I, you know, I don't work at Pixar, or but he said I was not there. Yeah. So that means that he was he's recent three months ago. Yeah. So was when he posted that. So I'm a I have to, based on that, uh, come to the conclusion that he's been there for a couple of years. You know, a year at least. Yeah. So what does that tell me? It tells me that he... That even though Lasseter is gone, that no one's talking about all that shit and it still seems like a shock to him? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's Anthony Kristoff. So so the, the, the person that she, um, that Cassandra is having a problem is Anthony Kristoff. Uh, inside scoop. It's Anthony Kristoff. Um, it is, in fact, Anthony Kristoff. Pixar should fire him. And to Anthony, if you're reading this, you should be ashamed of yourself, you asshole son of a bitch. Uh, is that the guy, the um, the other guy that was harassing her? Yeah, that's the guy. In fact, that was the guy that when she left, you know. Yeah, I was flirting with her saying, oh, yeah, you know, you know I'm going to miss the view or some shit like yeah. that, right? How does that, I, how does that fucking work, man? It's just like the... Like the whistling out of the window shit when you drive by women. It, it doesn't fucking work unless you're driving by a whore. <laughs> you know what I mean? An actual prostitute. Otherwise, that shit don't work. It just makes you look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. I, I, it's just... I will say this, though. Um, I When I'm driving and I do see a beautiful woman walking down the street, I do have this urge to do that. I don't fucking do it because it's fucking stupid, but I don't know why. It's like a it's like a caveman thing or some shit, you know? I. <sighs> But that's how we become more civilized, right? We got to fight our, you know, our primitive impulses. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I mean, hey, baby, <laughs> goddamn, this is so stupid. Yeah. All right. Um. Yeah. I mean, look, man. I, I. I hope. Look. I think that she needs to get some help if she hasn't already. You know, she sounds very intelligent. Um. But I think, yeah, you're right. That there's definitely a lot of things that um that wasn't said and um. I think there's more to her than what she's talked about. And I think that someone that's been through what she's been through, uh, she, she definitely needs to get a lot of help with that. Cause I think if you, if you've been through the shit that she's been through, especially from a young age, um, I don't know how many people can get through that on their own without help. So. And that, that'd be my guess. And that's why she wrote that. It's just a form of purging. Yeah. You know, she had to do that to take the next step. Yeah. So, you know what, man, I, Good for her, you know, for speaking out, and and hopefully, you know, things will get better for her. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, shit, is that all we got? That's it. All right. So, uh, he's gone now, right? Lester's already gone, right? Yes. Yeah. So, hey, dude, I mean, it shows even someone like that, man. Did, I guess we're all perverts at heart. Apparently. <laughs> Fuck. All right. Well, as always, stay safe out there and, uh, you know, tell the truth. Tell the truth. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.